0: This is an ABC podcast. So, Norman, on a scale of one to completely underwater, how wet is it at your place at the moment?
1: It's probably four, so it's damp. (laughs) And you?
0: It's, uh, I thought I was going to get flooded in last night and it just feels like a, a very sort of early chapter. It feels like the prologue to what I think is going to be a very long, very rainy summer.
1: To explain to Coronacasters, Tegan lives in a semi-rural environment and I live in 100% urban.
0: Indeed. But I think that the as, as well as making things a little bit damp and mouldy at my place, there could be some health effects of this rain as well. But maybe we'll get to that in this episode of Coronacast, a show all about the coronavirus and other nasties as well. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagera and Turable Land.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr. Norman Swan, coming to you from Gadigal Land, part of the Eora Nation. It's Wednesday, the 26th of October, 2022.
0: So Norman, it's been it's been raining to the point of nearly flooding in lots of parts of uh, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria and also Tasmania, and with floodwater comes mosquitoes and with mosquitoes come mosquito-borne diseases. And last year we were talking, or sorry, the beginning of this year, time is a flat circle, we were talking about Japanese encephalitis virus and there's some warnings that that might be coming back. This summer,
1: Yes, various researchers in the area are predicting that you might get outbreaks. I mean, this is a an infection that was not endemic in Australia just a few years ago. It was thought to be one of the infections that with climate change would move further south in Australia. And it's moved further south much faster than anybody predicted. And we had outbreaks last summer, particularly in riverine areas. And that's what could happen this time. It's a nasty disease. You do not want to get it. Children do not want to get it. And with flooding and with bird life moving with the floods, you could well see outbreaks of Japanese encephalitis.
0: So this is a disease, like you said, that wasn't ever endemic in Australia, but is there a chance that it it could become endemic here in the future? Because the whole thing with it is that the mosquito breeding season sort of allows the cycle to break if there's a if there's a dry spell, but that sort of hasn't really happened in Australia this year.
1: I don't know if anybody's really come to the conclusion yet. I think uh, it's pr- it probably a pretty academic discussion. It's likely that it's endemic in large parts of New South Wales and Victoria already. In other words, it's there and it's going to be there all the time.
0: So how big of a worry is JEV? Is it is it COVID level worrying? It sort of seems to be clustering mostly around pig farming, which is pretty localised.
1: Yeah, pig farming is one source, but you can also get it if you get bitten by mosquitoes around the Riverland areas, so it's both. And with the floods um, in New South Wales and Victoria, they are increasingly concerned that you might um, have outbreaks of Japanese encephalitis in people who are not in occupations where you would be exposed to the virus in high density. So, yep, it it is a worry. It's not a worry in terms of pandemic spread, well, pandemic is, again, another word that really just means that it's in every continent. It's more that it's the human-to-human human spread is It's really animal-to-human spread. In other words, mosquito spread.
0: So this is a virus that causes disease that doesn't tend to be pretty bad, but if it, it does get bad, it can be deadly.
1: So Japanese encephalitis is a worry. And the people who are really at risk here are children aged under five and older people and uh, they are more at risk of developing severe illnesses and such as brain inflammation and that can cause death. The problem is that with the floods you might actually get expanded territory for this infection particularly for older people. So in Victoria if you're 50 years and over and you spend a significant amount of time outdoors or you live or work in particular high-risk local government areas you're eligible for the vaccine. I suspect that the reason for not making it available to everybody in Australia is that not everybody is vulnerable to Japanese encephalitis, but it may well be that in a flood situation such as we've got now, that almost everybody in those flood areas will end up being eligible. But at the moment, they're, they're, I don't know what the supply situation is of the vaccines. I mean, the Communicable Disease Network of Australia really does talk about how distribution of the vaccines should be prioritised to those at high risk of Japanese and Kevlite, as far as exposure. And that's in mainland Australia, Torres Strait Islands, Tiwi Islands, and the groups that we've just talked about.
0: And you can check with your local public health authority if you're not sure if you're at risk or not. So, Norman, while we're talking about things that aren't COVID, can we talk about another really serious virus that is? Back on the spread again. So in 2014, we were hearing a lot about Ebola virus in Africa, and it sort of peaked over at that two-year period, 2014, 15, 16, and then it kind of went away a little bit. But it's back now and really with a vengeance, especially in Uganda. It
1: really has never properly gone away. There have been outbreaks fairly consistently, but fairly small outbreaks. The outbreak between 2014 and 16 in West Africa killed 11,000 people. It was major. And there was major concern around the world about um, whether Ebola could spread to other countries, including Australia. And in fact, in Australia, I think Westmead Hospital in New South Wales was made the Ebola hospital. Um, they were particularly worried also about healthcare workers coming back who worked in West Africa with Ebola. I mean, I mean, this is a potentially fatal disease, it's a nasty disease. You get diarrhea, vomiting, fever, and internal and external bleeding. It comes from an animal. Nobody's really too sure, even now, which animal Ebola might come from. There are four variants. And in the last few weeks, there's been an outbreak in Uganda. And it's the first outbreak, I think, of 2022 in Uganda. So haven't got the latest numbers from Uganda. But as far as I can see, when the lockdown was put in, there were about 60 people who'd been infected and 24 deaths. And the problem that they're worried about is that people have been travelling and people with the disease may well have gone to Kampala. So these are rural areas in Uganda, two two areas in particular, and they've gone into lockdown to stop people travelling because they don't want this to get into the cities.
0: Yeah, so lockdowns again, we're really hyper-aware to lockdowns now that we've lived through them here in Australia and lots of places around the world have as well. Is this just going to be a feature of Disease outbreaks going forward,
1: not necessarily. But in this case, when you've got um, in resort, you, you've got an outbreak in a in a resource poor environment, where you've got the potential for rapid spread of a fatal disease, which is hard to control. Although we'll come back to control measures in a moment. Lockdown to actually stop people, stop this going from the country to the city, and you could just imagine a city like Kampala. If it gets into that city, the control measures are just going to be that much more difficult the problem already in Uganda is the same problem that we had with lockdowns in Australia which is what do you do about schools kids going to school teachers being available and so on and you know the the lockdown has created and continues to create issues
0: yeah lockdowns really sort of feel like you get to use them once or twice and that you can't really sort of rely on them for a long time so what other control measures are there and so and while we're on it There are vaccines against Ebola and there are treatment protocols.
1: So let's just talk about control. Um, People won't necessarily remember this, but we had Kamalini Lokugi on various outlets, including Coronacast from the Australian National University, and she worked in Liberia during the Ebola outbreak. And in fact, when governments were imposing controls on the communities in West Africa, it was very hard to control. And really what controlled it in in West Africa was community development and community learning to trust each other. And if you admitted that you had Ebola in the family, you weren't going to suffer as a result in terms of government repression and so on. And um, through that sort of community development, the work of Kamalini and others helped to control the pandemic and have actually used that technique of community development to help control the COVID-19 outbreak in Victoria in the northwestern and northern suburbs. There are vaccines. There are four variants of uh, Ebola, and the one that caused the 11,000 deaths in West Africa is called the Zaire variant. This one is the Sudan variant of Ebola in this particular outbreak. Now, the vaccines that were uh, have been used in the past are specific to the Zaire Ebola version of Ebola.
0: So they don't work against this one.
1: But there are vaccines under development for the Sudan version. And there are treatments which are monoclonal antibodies, which help to stop the disease spreading and getting into your body. So it's not as if there is nothing. The um, And one or two vaccines have been approved for use. And no doubt they'll be trying those. But the problem is, do they work with the Sudan version?
0: Well, it is coronacast, Norman, so we had better talk about COVID at least a little bit. And there's something that we're trying to we're always trying to narrow, narrow down with COVID, and that's where it maybe came from. We know that the SARS viruses the, and the coronaviruses in that family probably originated in bats back up in their family tree, but we don't know if there was another animal between the bats and the humans. And Researchers are continuing to try to pick this problem apart.
1: This is a really interesting study published a week or two ago in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, trying to do exactly what you said, which is tracing, trying to find the animal reservoir of COVID-19 and its variants. Rather than go into the complexity of this study, they found that Omicron, the Omicron variant, had quite a high degree of specificity to... The mouse receptor, and I was going back to ancient history in terms of coronacast, but people might remember there's the ACE2 receptor. That's how the COVID-19 virus gets into your body. So what they've found here is looking at the genetic structure of the Omicron variant of, of the COVID-19 virus is that it had a high degree of specificity for the mouse receptor for COVID-19, the ACE2 receptor, and that it predated the outbreak of omicron in the human population so they're postulating in this that omicron was likely to have had a reservoir in mice or rodents prior to breaking out in humans
0: oh so that the so when we're wondering where omicron might have come from they're saying maybe the virus spilled into rodents and then came back into humans and that's where the omicron
1: that's one possibility huh and what this kind of research shows is that if you actually look at the specificity of the lock and key mechanisms in COVID-19, you might get a hint as to where the virus came from. And in this case, the hint may be that it came from mice or rodents who have this particular genetic structure of the receptor.
0: So can we talk about treatments before we go? And one of the treatments that there was a lot of talk about early in the pandemic is an existing anti-parasitic drug called ivermectin. There's been a lot of evidence to show that it doesn't really seem to do very much to help people with COVID at all, but there has been another study looking into that just to check. What did it find?
1: It found it didn't work. Well, there you go. It was an effect of um, ivermectin versus placebo in terms of recovery in people who never got into hospital but who had mild to COVID-19. Because every time you got a study that showed that ivermectin didn't work, people said, oh, well, Maybe it doesn't work in severe people, but maybe it works in people with milder disease and it doesn't work in people with milder disease either. It's unfortunate. It'd be nice if it did, but it doesn't.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. You can send us a question by going to abc.net.au slash coronacast and we'll be back next Wednesday. See you then.